Thanks for listening to KATH 910 AM Frisco, Dallas, Fort Worth on the Guadalupe Radio Network in North Texas. Catholic Radio for your soul. Heard also at grnonline.com and on your smartphone. Live from the KATH 910 AM studios in Las Colinas and broadcasting across North Texas on the Guadalupe Radio Network. This is the Good News Show. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Good News Show here on KTH, 910 AM, Guadalupe Radio Network in North Texas. Glad you're with us. An hour to be live with you to talk about things that are happening in the Catholic world here in North Texas. Good stuff going on. There always is. And uh, today we have, uh, let's see, since it is the fourth uh, Monday of the month, we have the regular University of Dallas segment, uh, Dr. Uh, Jonathan Sanford, the president of the university. Did you hear he was on Fox and Friends? I did. What I was saw that all that. about? Yeah, was I that today? No, I, I think it is. I was. Let me look at it, because I shared it on our local uh, Facebook group, because I saw it on UD's Facebook page, and I was like, I'm sorry, what is happening? They must have heard he was a regular on good, the I Good I News Show. I was like, I'm pretty sure it's because of the show that he got asked to be on Fox and Friends. <laughs> Had nothing to do with uh, him being the president of a major oh, Catholic no, no, university. No, absolutely. Yeah, he's going to... No, he was on this morning, I believe. Oh, okay. I believe. Yes. Gosh, yeah, I didn't see it. I'd like to see the the, the podcast or whatever of it. I'll, I'll go check that out. All right, so uh, Dr. Sanford, uh, big, big media day for him, Fox mm-hmm. and Friends, and then Good News Show. He is going to interview Dr. Joseph Meany, who is uh, with the National Catholic Bioethics Center, and that comes up in about 30 minutes, uh, the second half of the program. And then we're also going to talk to Steve Huff, who is the director of this year's Vocation Awareness Program, which also is going to be at the University. University of Dallas. Boy, UD is just doing everything. And that is June 10th through 12th. And so about 15 minutes after the hour, uh, we'll, we'll speak with Steve Huff. Uh, talking about, you know, folks who may have that inkling of interest uh, uh, to whatever degree of uh, a possible vocation to the priesthood of religious life. So you'll learn more about that in a second. Before that, though, we have a few things to talk about between me and uh, Cecil Anderson, our North Texas assistant, and Diane Xavier, who is our production manager. How you doing, Diane? I'm doing wonderful. I love this cooler weather. Yeah, I don't nice. know about you. What, how did this happen? I it, know. You know, it kills me because I, I had my race on Saturday and it was so humid that day and I wake up on Sunday morning to go to mass and I'm like this is beautiful weather yeah. for running how did this happen <laughs> funny you called a race 10k because uh, I guess it was competitive it is cause, competitive because yeah. there are awards I mean I wasn't doing it competitively yeah. well I mean I think finishing a 10k yes most people I've never done a, a 10k comp- I mean competitively mm-hmm. like that that's that's quite a congratulations that's oh, quite a, quite yes. a feat I crossed the finish awesome. line yeah yeah I I did not run a 10k <laughs> over the weekend I, I, that's but about I, all I did productively over the weekend <laughs> yeah I said a little prayer that, that yours went well Thank so you. I don't know if I lost any calories by doing that or, uh, got any fitter but uh, congratulations on that all right so a few things to talk about before we get to our first interview with Steve Huff here in just a moment uh, first of all two weeks from tomorrow mm-hmm. begins our summer share I can't believe that I know that's crazy it's like we do it every three months or I know so, you just know? you know you blink and <laughs> there it is again yeah Eucharistic revival yeah. is the theme and uh, I did an interview with uh, Father Sam uh, Medley uh, on that that theme. That's going to be like the giveaway that we give, uh, basically for anybody who donates during those four days. So June seventh through the tenth, beginning at seven o'clock, 
Tuesday morning, Central Time. We always like the first caller to be from North Texas. Be great. So go ahead and circle your calendar. And uh, you probably have to call it about 5 till because there's a couple other people that call pretty early. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, we'll have more reminders of that in the coming uh, weeks. And you need some volunteers. I do. So on Thursday, June 9th, uh, during that share we have the call center here in Dallas in our Irving studios. And I get about six volunteers for each shift in the morning and in the afternoon. And the afternoon is filled up, but the morning shift still has about three spaces open. Um, so that is a shift from 7 a.m. to 1 p.m. on Thursday, June 9th here in Irving that I just need a few more people to sign up and to be uh, a volunteer. We will teach you everything if you've never done it before it's very simple you're filling out information you're answering calls from donors and they're all lovely and it's a great opportunity to make make new friends uh with other catholics in the area and also uh eat lots of delicious food Mm -hmm. we try to entertain you as much as possible (laughs) yeah and every like group of volunteers kind of has its own little personality oh yeah it's so Uh, much fun and everybody kind of gels you make new friends and uh some people just love doing charathons and always i know a lot of these these seats go very very quickly yeah um so yeah if you are a morning person and you want to give um some time to catholic radio and again, enjoy good food and com- good company. Um, email us. Uh, you can do, I'm trying to decide if I want to do my email or if I want to do the KATH. I'll do KATH. Uh, KATH at grnonline.com. Again, KATH at grnonline.com and say, hey, I want to be a volunteer. Yeah, and the difference between that and Sissel's or mine individually is that goes to both of us. Yes. Diane, do you get Diane it also? Gets it as well. the okay, the, the, the KTH email address goes to all three of us. Yes, it does. Okay, mm-hmm. so you'll get to all three of us. And you don't have us. to spell Sissel's name, so that's, yeah, that's right. the plus for you. <laughs> yeah, because nobody knows how to. Mm-hmm. I don't even think Sissel knows how to spell nope. her own name. All right, so that is coming up two weeks from tomorrow, the Summer Sherathon, Eucharistic <laughs> Revival is a theme. And uh, don't forget also, a little further into the summer, we have our Summer Speaker Series event. I don't know if there's anything brand new to tell you that we didn't tell you last week, other than the fact that we are a week closer to selling tickets. It goes uh, this Thursday, right? This Thursday, yeah. The, the Feast of the Ascension. Uh, it's it, the which, first day. Which is a day off for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, this Thursday, the 25th of uh, May, is the very first uh, opportunity. And I am so excited that there have been people, yes. and, and not not a small number of oh, them, that have been emailing us. Yeah, when did tickets go on calling sale? Us. I want to get, yeah, yeah calling. And us. so there's a lot of excitement that's building. It's going to be Thursday, July 21st, uh, beginning at 6.30 p.m., we're going to have food. We don't know which restaurant yet. Uh, 7 o'clock it begins. It'll be a pretty quick event. The whole yep. thing is like two hours. Uh, the name of uh, Bishop Strickland's talk is Engaging in Battle, Empowering the Lady in 2022. Uh, so I think we're all aware that there's a, a battle going on. It just seems like every time you read the news, there's well, some heard, other way. That like, can, yeah. lately, the Archbishop of San Francisco. Oh, yeah, big news. He's being attacked yeah. by... Who knows, the White House or somebody's calling for Pope Francis to kick him out. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah I don't think that's going to happen. But, uh, yeah, and that, that is news that broke, I think, on Friday. Uh, Archbishop Carleone of San Francisco uh, said that he would deny uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi uh, Holy Communion because of her uh, seemingly immovable support uh, of abortion. And I applaud him for that. And a lot of bishops have come forward and said that they agree with him, including Bishop Strickland. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, and I and I, I saw one guy on Twitter and say, hey, you know, if a bishop hasn't come out yet, give him a break. There's a lot going on these days. There's confirmations. There's a lot of things. He said, just kind of wait. And mm-hmm. uh, so we'll see. But I, I definitely think that's a good move for the salvation of her soul. I mm-hmm. mean, you, you, you can't, uh, objectively speaking, 
support the the murder of of innocent life and be a, you know in in good standing with God. I just don't know how that can happen. Uh, but we're not in the business of judging souls. That's God's business. But objectively speaking, I, I, I just don't, I don't think that's a good place to be. No. All right, so go to summerspeakerseries.com beginning Thursday. Get your tickets for the uh, Summer Speaker Series event. And as we mentioned, the Feast of the Ascension is this Thursday. Yes. You guys have any, like, reflections on the Ascension or anything <laughs> that, uh, like, uh, yeah. It, it normally gets moved to the following Sunday does, these yeah. days, but not in my parish. My parish, we still celebrate it on Thursday. Uh, it's yeah. a, it's I know a, we have the day off. <laughs> yeah, get the day off. I have more time to ponder it, I'd yeah. say. So I'm going to definitely try to do a holy hour that day and some other things that I can. Yeah. I'm writing a newsletter about the Assumption. Oh, and, okay. I, I, and, and one <laughs> of the things that I guess is kind of interesting is that imagine you're Mary and you just kind of like lift it up. You know, not mm. by your own power. Whereas the ascension was Jesus' own power, because he's God, he can do it himself, right? But Mary doesn't have the power to lift herself up into heaven. So it's, <laughs> I don't know, just that whole sensation yeah, of that- <laughs> just kind of li- being lifted up, and uh, it'd be kind of exciting, you know? It would be quite exciting. <laughs> yeah. So. She had a pretty exciting life, I think, overall. <laughs> yeah, but not without sorrow. You know, no, she, she had uh, she, you know, she had sorrow, and so it must have been pretty cool to be like, you know, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. uh, up to heaven. Uh, all right, so any events coming up in the next couple of weeks? I've got a couple that I'd like to mention, Ooh. but uh, anything that's uh, hit y'all's radar? Don't feel any pressure because I got. <laughs> well, I, got I know the pl- vocation awareness program. Yeah, that's, that's huge. A, that's yeah, yeah. June tenth through twelfth, and we'll be t- speaking to Steve here in just a moment about that. All right. So here's a couple of them. Uh, this is so exciting. We got word that St. Jude's Carnival in Allen is going to be September eighth through the eleventh. Now, granted, that's a long ways from now, but just the fact that they're starting to advertise yes. these carnivals. I love the fall season. I, I, just something about fall. It's it's the carnivals, the, the cooler temperatures, and yeah, football starting, yeah. and so I, I'm sure we'll be out there broadcasting. We always do at the St. Jude Carnival. We've already scheduled St. Catherine of Siena's mm-hmm. uh, Autumn Fest, which is, I think, the first weekend of October. Yes, I believe so. Yeah, it usually is that very first weekend, yeah. uh, and that one's a lot of fun, too. St. Anne's and Capel is always big. Of course. That's the, always the first. The one right after the weekend, after, after Labor, Labor Day. Day yeah. After Labor Day, Which I think is the same as St. Jude's. Yes. Now, so, th- those parishes are so, so far away from each other that it's not like they're competing. Or you go to one on one day and one on the other day, you know? Yeah, yeah which is probably what we're going to do. We'll probably be broadcasting be for us. both of them, for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, um, yeah, so uh, another one. This is pretty cool. Uh, St. Bernard of Clairvaux Parish. Uh, we have a we have a spot on the air for this. Uh, cordially invites everybody to Mother Mary and Saints Tea. I love that. Saturday, June fourth, two to four thirty p.m. Isn't that yeah, a unique event? I yeah. love it. I love it. Is it so? It's like a little tea party, right? Uh, yeah, the parish is so active. They're yeah, very I know. They they are doing a lot. Very Come vibrant. for a delightful afternoon and support our Women's Guild major fundraiser. Enjoy delicious foods and teas. A special auction, raffles, and fellowship. Pretty cool. That is really, really cool. Sounds like it's a women's event, though. So I, I don't think I'll be going. <laughs> yeah. It's for men, too. Is Nancy? it for men? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if the event is, but tea is, does not have a specific gender assigned Yeah, to that's it. true. That's true. It doesn't say it's only for women. Hey, we should call them and ask them. Benefiting 
benefiting the it, women's ministry. It benefits though. the women's ministry. So but does that mean it's only men, for women? Men can support the women's yeah, ministry, absolutely. right? I'm showing up. There you go. I think you should. I think you should. We should all go. Okay. I would go. Um, oh, I forgot. Also, the uh, third annual Axe Charity Golf Tournament, if you're a golfer, uh, is happening on Saturday, June 11th, and they need uh, golfers and sponsors. And we're gonna have a whole. We're gonna have this weekend a whole interview about this event. But just wanted to throw that out there. If you're a golfer, not me. In other words, <laughs> have you ever golfed like a whole round of golf, uh, Dave? I've done putt putt, and you know my my brother and my dad do golf from time to time, and they have talked about taking my sister. My, I think my sister's actually gone. Talked about taking me out, but I think they're a little nervous, and I'm also a little nervous. And I think we need to go when there's no one else around. <laughs> like seriously, for their own safety, for their own safety. So and you've I, never been on a golf course and like swung a, a like no, a, like a, a real no. Golf. And the thing is, is that I know from experience that with like things like tennis that I can always hit the ball. <laughs> the thing is <laughs> where it goes after where that. It goes, yeah. I have very little control over. So yeah. <laughs> I have great hand eye coordination. Uh just terrible directional like <laughs> yeah. I, I probably played eighteen holes twice in my whole mm. life. One time I went out to Birmingham for a friend's uh wedding and Friday I get out there and we, we played oh, eighteen cool. holes, but I played it badly. But how Dan, have you ever played golf? No, but I watch golf, so yeah, okay. that's a step well, several steps more than me. Yeah, less chance of injuring anybody uh, just by watching it. Go to stfrancisax.com if you want to sign up for that, and it's a hundred dollars, and you get breakfast and lunch and a goodie bag, so it's a pretty good deal, I think. Honestly, yeah. so yeah. All right, Bingo is returning to St. Francis Ooh. of Assisi Parish in Frisco. That's something I can do. I like being takes less skill, I yeah. think. You know, <laughs> it's more about luck than anything. It's going to be in the Great Hall, twenty five hundred dollar prize. <gasps> wow! On second thought, we're all showing up for this. <laughs> yeah, boy, that that that's a lot of money. That is. Uh, so you can go to their website, which I don't have here <laughs> handy. But if you like, I, you know, bingo's fun. It's kind of passive and it's fun and it's competitive. Yeah, and, you, you know, get to, if, you know, kind of be like, oh, I got it. You did. You got to pay you know? attention. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that I was gonna say you say, you say play bingo, but I feel like it's it's uh yeah it's not like it plays you it, yeah it's not really like a strategy game no you have no, no you have you yeah it's you luck pay of the attention. draw you got to pay attention but it's luck of the draw and if your car just happens to be the car that's going to be good for you <laughs> right right yeah. yeah that that's true that's true all right so uh, got about a minute and I just want to throw this out there I I told you both that I was going to ask you this because we're going to be talking about vocation awareness program. Uh, which is coming up next month, June 10th through 12th. Uh, and, and just, just real briefly, because we, we need to get to this interview here in about a minute. But, uh, Diane, have you ever felt called to the religious life? I mean, at any point in your life? Actually, no, I have not. No, okay. Yeah. I, I'd have to say the same thing. I, I, I don't, it's, it's kind of just one of those things, you know, some people God calls and some mm. people don't. I think there, sometimes there may be missed vocations, but I always, even as a young guy, I always felt called to marriage, but, you know, as Steve is going to mention, and Cecil, what about you? You're, um, I would say I've more. I I would say I've explored it more. I don't know if I've yeah. actually felt a calling to it, but because I was raised was raised Protestant, having a separate yeah, vocation right. outside of marriage wasn't really even talked about. So. I was like, wow, now that I'm Catholic, I should probably look into this. You know what I mean? <laughs> I should probably see what yeah. this is all about and understand it. So I went on like a few vocation mm. retreat sort of things. And um, when I was there, it was very, like when I was talking about it, it was very attractive to it time to time, but I don't know if I felt a calling to mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I thought it was very beautiful. And I was like, man, you have your life basically scheduled for the, forever and you don't, ha- you just do as you're told. I'm like, there's yeah. something very beautiful. And you're just like, man, that sounds so much nicer than sometimes because right, right. w- serving people especially the, the the particular orders that really serve people 
sometimes in my day-to-day life, I'm like, I don't have enough time for to serve other people. And imagine your whole vocation, that's what you're doing mm-hmm. and how beautiful yeah. that is. Yeah, so. that, that is true. That's true. That's a good way of putting it. Well, if you are listening and, uh, you know, you're anywhere from, I think, 18 to 45 years old and you feel like that God may be calling you in any small way or big way to religious life, priesthood, you know, religious sister, then uh, listen to this interview. Uh, Steve Huff is who I'm going to talk to about an event coming up next month, June 10th through 12th, Vocation Awareness Program and uh, it might just be a good fit for you. So here's my interview with Steve Huff. I have on the line with me now Steve Huff. He serves as the director of the Vocation Awareness Program. This has been going on for many decades, and it is for men and women who want to discern uh, a, a possible vocation to the priesthood or religious life. And uh, this year's Vocation Awareness Program is going on uh, June 10th through 12th. That's Friday through Sunday, and it's going to happen at the University of Dallas. And Steve is also very involved with uh, the Sirens, and there's a connection between the Sirens and this program as well. So so, Steve, thanks for joining us in the show today. Yeah, hey, thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it. You know, I think I think our listeners pretty much are familiar with the Sirens, but just for those who do not know about the Sira Clubs, uh, tell us a little bit of background about the Sira Clubs and also, uh, you know, what inspired you to get involved with them. Sure, sure. So um, the Sirens Clubs is actually an international uh, organization that are uh, Catholic lay men and women who, you know, try to vigorously respond to the call to promote and support vocations to the ministerial priesthood and consecrated life in the Catholic Church. Uh, within the footprint of Dallas-Fort Worth, we have, uh, I think, four clubs in, um, in Dallas and three clubs in Tarrant County. And um, they're all part, they both fall in the umbrella of District 46E. So it's an international organization. Um, there's probably, I don't know, 15,000 men and women worldwide that are members of the, uh, of the Sarens. And it's been in existence, uh, since 1935. So it's been around for a very long time. And, uh, the original group chose, uh, Padre Unipero Serra as the patron saint. Uh, most people are probably familiar with him, but he was a, a Spanish missionary who helped establish the first missions in California. So um, he was actually canonized by the Pope in 2015. So there are more than 400 Sarah clubs in 46 countries. And like I said, probably somewhere around 15,000 uh, men, women, and permanent uh, deacons that are, that are members. And I got involved with the Sarahs probably about 10 years ago, maybe a little bit less, really just from the urging of friends in my parish uh, that thought it would be uh, a good, good thing to do. I, I'm kind of one of those people that, you know, believe God kind of puts things in front of you. Yeah. It's not real complicated. You can, you want to know what to do. You can tell when, when something's there that's being presented to you. And, uh, anyway, I gave it a look, enjoyed it, really liked the mission. It's, uh, it's an important, a very important, uh, 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 ministry just because we, we certainly know how important our priest deacons, sisters, and consecrated women are to, to our, to our faith. Yeah, and I have enjoyed so much uh, being involved with the Sarens and speaking to them and promoting them and uh, just do amazing work. Well, what are the, the benefits of joining a local Sarah club? I know this is something that people may listening right now may want to consider, but uh, uh, what's involved and, and what have you found to be the benefits of it? Well, it's really quite simple to, to join. Uh, just each parish 
<clears throat> probably has some type of uh, uh, advertisement or listing for the Sarah clubs. And uh, you can contact uh, whoever that would be in the bulletin. It's normally the president or maybe a vice president of, of, of uh, membership. And they can give you a lot more detail than I can probably give you here in this, sh- this short clip. But um, essentially, there's, there's a multitude of uh, programs and activities that we uh, participate in to help support vocations. Most clubs have a, uh, a first Friday, the first Friday of each month, they'll have a mass and a breakfast. And then some of them will actually have uh, a lunch. But it's, it's a social opportunity to interact with other uh, like-minded Catholics and to uh, uh, you know, strategize activities that can support vocations. We, we send out you know, uh, uh, birthday cards. We, um, we support some of the uh, work that's being done out at the seminaries. And, uh, but, but, of course, what we're talking about today, one of the biggest things we do is the VAP weekend, which uh, we sponsor annually. And has that always been the case? Uh, the, the connection between the Sierra Clubs and VAP is that the Sierra Clubs started it uh, many years ago and continue to run it. Is that, is that accurate? Yes, yes, that's correct. It was started about 30 years ago. Um, there were uh, a group of uh, folks, uh, I think Ed Waffle, uh, down in Houston, and uh, he and a couple of other guys got together and uh, uh, came up with this idea. And the program history is basically that, you know, Ed and Bill got together uh, and got permission from the various club presidents of the DFW area to start this VAP weekend. And uh, Don Wetzel, actually, I mean, a lot of folks know the Wetzels here in the community, uh, was the first director. And um, it, I believe the first one was in 1990. So it's, it's, been, it's been ongoing for quite a while. Oh, wow. So uh, tell us about Vocation uh, Discernment Weekend. Uh, okay, let's say Vocation Awareness Program. I know there's a little bit of a... Uh, right. You know, qualify you know, a, a little bit of uh, nuance as far as the the name, but tell us about that and who's it for, and, and and who should be you know perking up right now and saying maybe this is a good opportunity for me. Right. So yeah, this is, to make the distinction for the past thirty years, the program's been referred to simply as the VAP Vocation Awareness Program. When you go to the website website, uh, you'll see the term Discernment Weekend, which has been being folded into kind of better. Uh, brand and identify the purpose of the weekend itself. And so, um, yeah, the, 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 okay, the vocation certain weekend originally in 1990. Um, it's, um, uh, it's since then like more than 1300 men and women have attended the weekend in the process of making their discernment. And it's, um, it's, it's a weekend of Friday, Saturday and Sunday <clears throat> that has a combination of face to face meetings with uh, various, uh, clergy orders, sisters, uh, consecrated women, and panel discussions. There's um, uh, adoration, mass, of course, confession, and a few other programs designed to help uh, young men and women between the age of 18 and, I think, 45. The average age is probably right around 23 to 25 out of 10. But it, but it gives them an opportunity to further pursue their discernment of, of vocations. And uh, uh, we, like I said, we, we have a, a variety of orders available there that they can come and, and uh, speak to face-to-face, one-on-one sessions we have. And uh, the, the predominant uh, uh, group is, is, is the parish priests. Uh, 
hmm. because the, the Fort Worth Diocese, the Dallas Diocese, locations offices are heavily involved and a big part of the planning structure. You know, one thing that some people may be wondering is what level of commitment does a person need to have to go to the VAP? You know, do they, obviously they're not like, sign me up, I'm, I'm in 100%. Uh, but what if somebody's like, you know, I don't know, I, I, you know I'm not sure if I'm called, but I'm a little interested, or, or what, what would your answer be to that? How, how, how interested should they be? Yeah, that's a great question. I, the, the, the best way I can answer it is if, if you've had that little voice in your head say, you know, I wonder, I wonder if this is something I need to look into. It can be just that simple. Now, many of the attendees are already uh, in the process of discerning vocations and have been working with uh, local priests or sisters in that process. But you don't have to have any specific level of interest other than I guess it's somewhat genuine, that you're, you're genuinely interested in it, you'd like to learn more about it, and or if you'd like to further your discernment of vocations. Yeah, that's, uh, that sounds great. You've already mentioned a little bit about what goes on on a vocation awareness program weekend, uh, discernment weekend. Uh, you know, that's uh, Friday night through Sunday, a couple overnights at the University of Dallas. Uh, well, what else can right. people expect or will there be presentations or, uh, you know, well, what, what else happens that weekend? Well, I, I could probably tell you a little bit just about the program itself specifically. So uh, uh, most, most weekends begin with check-in at University of Dallas. Uh, you know, that would be Friday evening around 4 o'clock. Then there'll be um, a or- welcome and an orientation. There'll be optional individual Eucharist act- adoration. There'll be dinner. Um, there'll be a, uh, a group presentation that that basically addresses the process of discernment. And then um, there'll be uh, introductions to various topics within, you know, common topics or current events within the church itself. We generally end Friday with evening prayer. And, uh, and reconciliation optional and lights out no, about 11 o'clock. These are pretty full days. On Saturday, you get up, you have breakfast, there's morning prayer, then there'll be a panel discussion about, uh, you know, uh, uh, like religious congregations or consecrated women serving the, serving the church. We did that last year. Then there'll be personal one-on-one conferences, and the, uh, the attendees can choose uh, who they would want to visit with based on their interest maybe in an order or just to learn more about an order. Uh, that takes up most of the morning. There'll be a panel discussion in the afternoon after lunch. Then um, uh, on to, um, we'll have stations of the cross this year. Then we'll have uh, uh, kind of a, a rec, area, rec time, so to speak, for at the, at the coffee bar there at University of Dallas. And then followed by some type of like a, you know, a movie or some of a small presentation. Then on Sunday, it's a breakfast kind of checkout process. We go to mass, morning prayer, and then go to mass. And that's a mass where all Sarans are actually invited to join uh, and come in and uh, sit down and meet the young folks that have been out there this weekend. Then we've had, you know, break up, have valuations, check out, that kind of thing. So. It's pretty quick, pretty pretty fast paced. It's not a huge time commitment, but uh, the young men and women get an awful lot of uh, information exposure 
to um, the various orders that are available here in the area. All right. So, again, it's going to be Friday, June 10th through Sunday, June 12th at the University of Dallas. This is a discernment weekend Correct. for Catholic men and women dis- uh, discerning priesthood or religious life or uh, at a, re- a religious order or diocesan priests or, you know, there's a whole lot, of, thankfully, a whole lot of different uh, orders within the church. Um, right, again, my guest right. is Steve Huff, Director of uh, Vocation Awareness Program 2022. Uh, Steve, just have a few minutes remaining. Can you tell us the kind of the nuts and bolts? If somebody's listening, uh, what should they do? Is there a cost? Uh, do they need to register? I understand today, the 23rd, is the initial deadline, so there's some urgency, right, to get registered if they intend on coming. Right, right. It's a big job to get everybody processed and um, uh, interviewed and you know, process the applications. So uh, they can go to www.dapinfo.org. All the information is there on the first you know, homepage, splash page. There's an application you fill out. Then that uh, application will be passed off to a screener. The screener will then contact you, get the rest of the information, and that's really about it. it, it those are those applications are distributed to each of the dioceses that is applicable, applicable, and then the person's approved, and they'll be sent a welcome package. Uh, it's no cost to the attendees. Uh, this is uh, 100% funded and sponsored by the Sarah Clubs of both Dallas and Fort Worth, and um, it, the deadline is the 23rd. Uh, however, we know there's there's a kind of a rush kind of at the end. We're going to extend it one week, so we, we'd like to have everything in, in by uh, Friday before the 30th. 30th would be probably the absolute last cutoff because we have to notify the university for for housing and for uh, food. Uh, so there's just there's just some things that have to happen. So we're going to extend it about a week. But please, uh, if you're interested, get your application filled out until it's just as quickly as possible. Okay. That website, again, vapinfo.org. Uh, vapinfo.org stands for Vocation Awareness Program. And uh, Steve Huff is our guest. Uh, about a minute remaining, Steve. Anything else uh, you'd like to say to our, our listeners? I, I'm guessing there's probably some parents out there that are thinking, boy, I sure would love my daughter or son to go to this. What would your uh, advice be for them to maybe gently encourage a, a child to attend? Sure, that, that's a really good point. Uh, for all the moms and dads, aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters, uh, you know the people around you best. And if you think uh, somebody has had some kind of inclination or uh, some kind of uh, you know thought along these lines, uh, please make them aware. Uh, VAPinfo.org. And I want to just thank you know, all of the Catholic community that has supported us throughout these 30 years. Um, uh, without it, we, we couldn't do it. And for all the I don't know, several hundred Sarens in Dallas and Fort Worth who put a lot, I mean, a lot of energy and effort into uh, creating this event. Uh, we, we, we just couldn't do it without, with, with all the help and support. We really appreciate it. All right, Steve. Well, th- thanks for taking time on the program today. Again, Director of sure. VAP Weekend, uh, that, that website again, vapinfo.org. The dates are June 10th through 12th uh, at the University of Dallas, uh, sponsored by the Sarah Clubs of Dallas and Fort Worth. It's uh, anybody, I think Steve said, from 18 to 45 who is uh, feels Correct. that God might be calling you to a religious vocation, priesthood, a religious life, and I, I think it's a... Uh, you know, you got to find out. At least find out, even if you discern that it isn't right for you. At least, at least you right. can uh, you can cross off that box. Uh, Steve, thanks Listen again. To that little voice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thanks. Great, great talking to you. Thanks for uh, being on with us today. 
Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Does the sexual abuse of your past still haunt you or someone you love? Give yourself or someone you love the gift of a weekend surrounded by love and healing. Dawn of Mercy is offering a three-day faith-based retreat for English-speaking women June 3rd through June 5th. Contact Dawn of Mercy at 469-613-3296 or email healing at dawnofmercy.org for more information or to register for this amazing retreat. You can also visit dawnofmercy.org to learn more about Dawn of Mercy. Immediate assistance is available. Sherry Van Branken, a longtime area Catholic, invites you to visit her website, catholicpapergoods.com, where you are able to download Catholic greeting cards, coloring pages, educational activities for your family or homeschool, art prints, and more. You can also find items such as ordination cards, sacrament invitations, and many items featuring saints of the Catholic Church. They're all able to be downloaded and printed from your home or other printing service. The website is catholicpapergoods.com for Catholic items for your own domestic church. catholicpapergoods.com Plans are underway for the 14th Annual Summer Speaker Series event benefiting KTH 9:10 a.m. It's Thursday evening, July 21st at the Frontiers of Flight Museum in Dallas with guest speaker Bishop Joseph Strickland who will speak on Engage in Battle, Empowering the Laity in 2022. Tickets will go on sale Thursday, May 26th at summerspeakerseries.com. Come escape the heat, hear an inspiring talk, be treated to some tasty food and wine, and catch up with your friends at the July 21st Summer Speaker Series event. Are you a small company needing IT help? Is your computer running slow? Do you need help securing your network? Do you want the peace of mind knowing your computers are running optimally and securely? I'm Charles Gura, a parishioner at St. Catherine of Siena Parish in Carrollton and a sponsor of KATH 910 AM. We can be reached at 214-702-6996 or online at pro-multis.com, P-R-O-M-U-L-T-I-S.com. We use our talents to help with your technology so you can use your talents to run your business. 32 minutes after the hour now. This is the Good News Show. Thanks for joining us. It is the fourth Monday of the month, and that means it's time now for the University of Dallas segment of the Good News Show with Dr. Jonathan Sanford, the president of UD. Thanks so much, Dave. It's great to join you again on the Good News at the University of Dallas show here on Guadalupe Radio. And I am so pleased to welcome as my guest today, Dr. Joseph Meany. He is the president of the National Catholic Bioethics Center. He is one of the most illustrious alumni of the University of Dallas, graduating with a BA in history, and went on and got a master's degree at UT and a doctorate in Rome. Thanks so much for joining the show, Dr. Meany. Thank you so much. Now, it's not just because he's an alumnus of the University of Dallas that we have Dr. Meany with us today. You are the president of the National Catholic Bioethics Center a position you've held for several years now, and prior to that, you were the Director of Outreach and Expansion Programs with Human Life International. Thank you for the work you do promoting the dignity of each and every human person through your long career in these fields. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I like to joke that I was kind of born into the pro-life movement. Uh, my parents really started it, and as children, we really followed in their footsteps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, your father's a, a philosopher. Um, right, so dad uh, was a Thomist, PhD mm -hmm. in, uh, in Thomistic philosophy, and mom was a medical doctor. Okay, wonderful. Well, um, it, what, what does it mean to promote human dignity in, in the space of healthcare and biomedical research? What, what, what is the core notion of, of human dignity that uh, the National Catholic Bioethics Center is, is really concerned to see advanced? I mean, 
it is interesting to see that the concept of dignity is not well understood, and particularly what the church means by it, and, and really what the natural law would say about it as well. People think dignity is something that um, has something to do with honor, perhaps, you know, or, or, or praise, mm -hmm. but, but dignity is something intrinsic. Mm -hmm. It means that uh, human beings have a special spark mm -hmm. of the divine. Mm -hmm. that, you know, our, our soul is created directly by God, and, and because of that, and we're meant to be with God, mm -hmm. because of that, we have to treat the human person with extraordinary reverence. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think that's the difference, right? Not so much honor as reverence. Mm -hmm. to, to be kind of in awe mm -hmm. of other human beings who have this just eternal destiny. Mm -hmm. and, and if you look at a person that way, it's very hard to treat them you know, as a piece of meat mm -hmm. you know, or as a, a trousered ape. Mm -hmm. or something else, you know, that, that uh, the modern secular conception would be that human beings really are kind of disposable mm -hmm. as opposed to really have human rights in a, in a fundamental sense. Mm -hmm. not, not just in kind of like, you know, oh yeah, sure, we have a right to this and a right to that. It's like, this is special. We, yeah. we are creatures that have an ex extraordinary destiny, but extraordinary um, richness. Yeah. You know, you, 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 um, you mentioned the natural law. Um, and, and you also mentioned the Judeo-Christian understanding of each human being being an image and likeness of God, or homogenes dei. And, and um, one, one thing that's amazed me about some of the great classical philosophers, Plato, Aristotle um, in particular, is they seem to recognize a divine spark in human nature, and uh, they're both uh, explicit about it in, in certain passages that, that um, I've, I've often taught on. And, um, and yet, they don't extend the kind of, of reverence that you just mentioned to each and every human being. And, and I'm wondering, that is to say, um, they, they um, seemed not to have been particularly bothered by slavery. And in, and in fact, in some interpretations of, of Aristotle's politics, he, he defends a kind of natural slavery. Um, there's, there's much that could be explored there. But they lived in cultures in which um, there, there was a kind of, of um, lack of real care for those who were not in positions of, of influence. If you weren't a citizen, if you weren't one of the 10%, of the inhabitants of Athens, then then you weren't of any particularly significant account, and so why how how is it that that um, from a secular perspective, one one can recognize a divine spark in the human being can can revel in the the glory of our creativity, um, and and at the same time. Um, regard others as as disposable or insignificant. Why? What is it that that that? Looking at this from the the opposite side of the, the Judeo-Christian um, point of view, and I guess what I'm driving at is: Do you need to be um, a person of the book in order to mm. grasp uh, yeah. human dignity, or or is it an appeal that you can make through reason alone? I mean, I think you can definitely make the appeal through reason alone, but it's clear that the example of Christ was transformative. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, I can think of um, a story that was told to me by the Archbishop of Malta. And he said, you know, all the ancient cultures were cultures of death. All of them. Mm -hmm. They had human sacrifice. They had slavery. Uh, there, there was so much, you know, that was just offenses against human dignity, capital punishment all over the place, etc. Yeah. And um, it really was with the, the chosen people and then with Christianity that kind of a culture of life sprang up. Mm -hmm. And so you look at it, in a sense, you know, it is rational, you know, and, and you, can, you can discover it by reason that the, the human person is, is extraordinary mm -hmm. and deserves this kind of special reverence and, and protection. But um, having that theological and, and divine revelation mm -hmm. really, really assists. And I always think also, you know, someone as extraordinary as C.S. Lewis, mm -hmm. who never became Catholic, even though he was so Catholic. Mm -hmm. and, and it seems like a big handicap for him was just his cultural prejudice from growing up in Northern Ireland, where, you know, the Catholics were others and you look down on them, etc. And so he was willing to become Anglican, mm -hmm. very Catholic in, in many senses, but he couldn't cross that last step. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it was like a cultural prejudice almost that he had. So mm -hmm. culture does matter. The law matters mm -hmm. tremendously. I think it educates people to think, you know, what is good and what is evil, mm -hmm. which, which makes no sense, right? An unjust law is clearly bad, mm -hmm. but you just pass a law and people will think it's good simply because it's legal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the law is a teacher, and I think we often don't appreciate the, the way in which the law instructs. So maybe that can be a good leverage point to talk about um, the kind of, of work that you do in the NCBC. You're not a policy center primarily. You're, you're focused on, on research. You're, you're, you're focused on teaching. You're, you're engaged in, in educating those in important policy positions, both within the church and within the political realm. What, maybe walk us through the, sort of the, the range of, of work that you do. Sure. So the National Catholic Bioethics Center was started in 1972. Mm -hmm. So we're celebrating our 50th anniversary this year. And for a bioethics institution, that's quite venerable. Mm -hmm. uh, bioethics as a discipline was only developed in the 70s. Mm -hmm. So it's... Um, it's very interesting to me anyway that you know it was created before Roe v. Wade, created before the first test tube babies, and, mm -hmm. and it really was an inspiration of the, the different Catholic bishops in the United States saying, we need this. Mm -hmm. we're, we're seeing what's on the horizon, and we want to be able to respond mm -hmm. to all these challenges uh, that are coming through biotech and biomedicine and, and the, really the, the explosion that's going on of, of knowledge, mm -hmm. but also you know, of, of unethical possibilities. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, huh, 100 years ago, you didn't have to discuss cloning, you know, right. or stem cells, right. or a whole range of different things that just weren't practically, scientifically feasible. So the NCBC, you know, is kind of a forward-looking institution in terms of, like, what is out there in terms of scientific research. Mm -hmm. We're also very practical. So we work together with Catholic healthcare institutions, with the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, and just to maintain the Catholic identity and, mm -hmm. the, and the Catholic ethics, mm -hmm. which is really a challenge. Mm -hmm. Because if you look at the broader culture of, of secular medicine, there's all these different influences which, you know, St. John Paul II just called a culture of death, right? Mm -hmm. But even, even, I think, deeper than that, in a certain sense, there's just a confusion. Mm -hmm. uh, when you get into the, the whole question of gender identity, mm -hmm. you know, not really understanding what it is to be male or female, and, and coming with a, 
a very old idea, really a Gnostic one, mm-hmm. dualist, you know, where I've, I have one soul and one body, and it doesn't really matter what I do with the body as long as my soul is, is right. okay. So the NCBC tries to engage on a lot of these questions academically, but also practically. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're a, a lay Catholic, um, you're, you're faced with a, a difficult uh, decision, say, caring for an, uh, an aged parent. Yeah. Um, um, can you turn to the, the National Catholic Bioethics Center in a way that, that would help you address some, um, yeah. some choices you need to make? Absolutely. So um, our website, ncbcenter.org, mm-hmm. um, we have a free consultation service for mm-hmm. individuals, and, and thousands of people do reach us every year. And mm-hmm. um, it's, uh, it's one of my challenges, actually. Uh, so we have uh, six full-time ethicists, uh, three part-time ethicists, which is pretty large for, for an ethics center. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, uh, when thousands of people are, are coming up, so we, we take different days a week, and we've been trying to mm-hmm. work together to, to make the consultation service even more efficient mm-hmm. um, than the past. But, but we do help many, many people, um, and particularly with end-of-life yeah. issues. Yeah. Uh, I think for Catholics, you know, it's, it's not really a question so much when it comes to abortion or other things. It's pretty clear what the church says. And, and it's also very clear that euthanasia and assisted suicide are, are out, mm-hmm. of, out of bounds. But when you have a question of, like, what is really extraordinary means here? You right. know, what should we pursue or not? Um, sometimes they can be very fraught questions. And people feel very guilty sometimes, right. unnecessarily. Right. Uh, or sometimes they might be tempted to do something which is quite wrong, you right. know, which is like cutting off food and water or something like that, um, just because that's kind of secular practice. Mm-hmm. So it is very helpful, and I think we've, we probably help more people on the end-of-life issues of trying mm-hmm. to figure out what to do uh, when a person is, is very close to death than, uh, than other areas when it comes to individual consults. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's fascinating that um, the term bioethics was, was really not invented until a little bit more than 50 years ago yeah. and um, what what is contained within that term because it's become fairly familiar I think a lot of people hear bioethics and they think about beginning and end of life issues and um, but um, aren't sure what else um, yeah. and, and you mentioned a, a few things there but if you could kind of set the parameters of the yeah, terminology I mean- Bioethics writ large is, is basically all the ethics of human, human, well, human, but also even animals, right? even, even plants, right? Any living being mm-hmm. is part of the biome. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there is a, a whole branch of bioethics that kind of deals with environmental ethics. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, saving the rainforest, et cetera, has an ethical dimension to it. And, sure. and clearly it does. And people talk about that. Now, um, it does tend to focus on medical research, biomedicine, um, and and kind of picks up where where medical ethics kind of left off. Mm-hmm. Medical ethics tended to be very much clinical ethics. Okay. And we tend to look at bioethics a little bit larger in terms of medical research. And and one of one of the things that really launched bioethics really were the atrocious medical research mm-hmm. uh, studies that were done in Tuskegee mm-hmm. and other places uh, where where research subjects were horribly mistreated and clearly there was a huge ethical violations there and so people were like okay wait a second we need we need proper safeguards and protocols that was the creation of a lot of different ethics committees mm-hmm. but then another thing that came out was resource allocation mm-hmm. so uh, when the first dialysis machines came out uh, they were expensive 
there were only very few and not nearly as many people as needed dialysis could get it. So there was something called the God Committee, (laughs) which was a bioethics committee, was trying to allocate the resources as fairly as possible. Mm -hmm. And and those have continued to be in place, ethics committees in different hospitals, etc. So um, that, again, is kind of a modern development, but just realizing that there are so many more possibilities for ethical missteps. That, uh, that there is need for support for medical professionals and, and also for patients. You know, you, you mentioned uh, distribution of, of medical resources. Um, COVID raised a, a whole host of issues connected to that. You know, who gets the respirator? And, and how, how, did, how did you at the National Catholic Bioethics Center approach um, resource allocation and, and, and how one should think properly about such so matters? So I found that issue of particularly triage protocols, Mm -hmm. who gets the respirator, who gets the ICU bed, um, fascinating. And Mm -hmm. and for us, it was was a real seminal moment. This is what makes Catholic bioethics different Mm -hmm. from secular bioethics. And when you looked at the reasoning around that, it was crystal clear. Mm -hmm. So there were folks who were very concerned, normally very concerned, I Mm -hmm. would say, with fairness and justice, et cetera, and yet suddenly, when it came to triage and s- allocating scarce resources, they're like, oh, well, if you're old or you're sick or you're handicapped, well, obviously sick, right? But handicapped or, you know, have some other disability, then you should be lower on the scale of who gets it. You know, and, and yeah. quality of life issues were kind of creeping in and saying, well, we can judge that this person has more longevity potential, mm-hmm. more quality of life potential, and so they should go to the front of the line. Mm-hmm. And that to us made no sense. Mm-hmm. If you think that the human person has equal dignity, mm-hmm. all people do, uh, then really the question is, who can you save? Mm-hmm. And how can you save the most people? Mm-hmm. Not who can you save the best people or the right people? Yeah. And so we focused a great deal on clinical criteria, mm-hmm. objective criteria. You know, we can't save this person even with a respirator. Okay, well, we, we shouldn't allocate a respirator to this person because it's taking away from someone else that we could save. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could save this person with a respirator, um, but they could also survive without a respirator. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then maybe we should allocate it to the person who can't survive without a respirator but will survive. Yeah. And, and to, to really make that the criteria. Yeah. You know, how can we save the maximum people possible without this kind of utilitarian consequentialist view mm-hmm. of, okay, well, well, we'll commit injustice to get a better result. Right. Instead, you have to just look and say, what is objectively right here? And then pursue that. And it was, people came around. Uh-huh. But in the beginning, there was a big temptation to right. go in, in other directions of like, oh, no, we'll discriminate against this group or that group, et cetera. Yeah, it's it it it's a uh, falling into that that same pattern that um, uh, you mentioned about um, the culture of death, St. John Paul II's term, the the Archbishop in Malta. I mean, it it shows in a way the distance we are from that firm foundation in understanding the dignity of the human person um, and how it plays out on a very large stage with enormous consequences for for many people. Yeah. You know, the you know, it, it, it's remarkable the range of work that um, you're engaged in through the NCBC. Um, did you ever imagine yourself in, in such a position when you were a student at the University of Dallas? You know, it was very interesting. Um, 
so I went, came to the University of Dallas. There were, there were two main reasons I came. Mm -hmm. uh, I could play tennis, yeah. and I could go to the Rome semester. Um, and I was, I was very interested in history, archaeology, and, and other things like that. And I, I had a freshman course, you know, Intro to Philosophy mm -hmm. and the Ethical Life, uh, with Dr. Janet Smith. Okay. And it was amazing. And I just fell in love with it, and I was just moving forward. And she offered, so I took as many courses with her as I could, and she offered a course on bioethics. Mm -hmm first course I took and it was so fascinating because you know they're hard questions they're difficult questions not obvious answers and yet you know the church has developed over centuries yeah. principles and you know different different methodologies to come to the truth mm -hmm. and to discern properly and she was she was so masterful at showing that and I was I was really really enthralled mm -hmm. and and the, the main thing that, that came to my mind is just too bad I can't have a career doing this because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't seem that feasible at the time yeah. Yeah. but um, but I could do pro-life work and, and, mm -hmm. and put together you know my, my ethics interest with pro-life and so I did that and, mm -hmm. and pursued it and then and then it real kind of dawned on me as, as I was in Rome the Pontifical Academy for Life and, and, and the Pontifical Council for the Family and all mm -hmm. these different that all these bioethics questions were being raised by different ethics centers yeah. and that they were working hard um, to you know really discern some of these thorny questions and mm -hmm. one of the interesting things that, that we bring up and our students do as well in our certification program in Catholic Healthcare Ethics there are a lot of questions that have not been resolved mm -hmm. by the church yeah. you know embryo adoption it's still kind of an open question. Now, the church has kind of been leaning in one direction, mm -hmm. but it hasn't been resolved 100%. And, and there are many, many other of these issues that um, we need ethics work, yeah. you know, to, to go and discern and go deeper into it. And, and the church will, but it, but it kind of grinds slowly on some of these things. You know, um, the field in which you work is just fraught with controversy and animosity on the part of, of many of the participants. And... Um, not always in the in the academic level of engagement, although sometimes there um, we both know how how um, things can get ugly at a at a conference or what have you. But um, you know, in in, in the, the the wider audiences, right? It, you hold a particular position on on transgender ideology, you're a hater. Um, you hold a particular position on a pro life issue, you're 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 a hater. You're a bigot. What what you know, the name calling. Um, what what about your your education at the University of Dallas um, that helped prepare you to engage in in such a, a controversial um, field um, with civility and and grace? Um, yeah, no, that's something that I, I really treasured from my time here was this pursuit of the truth that was not not kind of a isolated pursuit of the truth. Mm -hmm. In other words, it was always the truth in charity. And the idea was, you know, and someone said this early on, right, you can win the argument and lose the person. Because, mm -hmm. you know, you may have the, the right reasoning, but if you do it in kind of a, an abrasive manner, they're going to say, this person's a jerk. <laughs> and mm -hmm. even if they're right, I'm not going to go, you know, I, I'm not going to give in to, yeah. to someone who's, who's nasty to me. And and I've seen that a lot, actually, in, in the, the other side, right? When, when they're really pushing stuff that is kind of nonsensical, mm -hmm. but they're also trying to intimidate people mm -hmm. into 
to agreeing with them. And, and that's kind of what political correctness is all about. It's, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, we will punish you right. if you don't conform to, to whatever it is that's true. And, and sadly, you know, the truth is always changing as far as they're concerned. Yeah. But um, one of the things that, that UD was really good about was having a spirited dialogue and then at the same time, you know, never really engaging the emotional side mm. to the point where, you know, people were angry at each other. Mm. Some, sometimes people would, you know, have an honest disagreement and they might even get heated. Mm-hmm. But at the end of it, you know, they were able to, to laugh and, and, uh, and get back, you know, a lot of civility. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's necessary to, to really love the other person, mm-hmm. you know, and, and to, to not only want to win the argument, but want to win that person by, yeah. by showing that you care for them. Not, not just that you, you know, want to defeat their argument or, or show them where their argument is faulty, mm-hmm. but also to show them, you know, this is truly what is good right. and beautiful and, and, and will lead to happiness ultimately. And if, if you're not happy now, and, and to me that was one of the incredible things. I, I remember I was in this, this pro-life march in Vienna mm-hmm. And there was a whole bunch of hundreds of us, and we were praying the rosary, and families and kids and, you know, all, all kinds of different folks on the pro-life side. And we came in front of the abortion center, and there were the counter-protesters. And it was like a vision of hell. I mean, people with, like, the weirdest piercings in their bodies and contorted rage and screaming and yelling and all the rest of it. And, and one person at the end of it came to us and said, you know what? I came here on the other side, and then I looked at them, and I looked at you, and I was like, I want to be on this side. Hmm. Because you were, you were smiling and normal-looking and, and loving, you know, and the other side was, you know, practically in these conniptions mm-hmm. of, of rage and anger. And it's true, right? Yeah. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, an aspect of the human person that's whole mm-hmm. and, and virtuous that I think communicates. Yeah, it's not just witnessing to the, to, to the truth through what we argue, but, but how we argue. And, and um, um, you know, I, I, I like the way that, that you've described this, this way of engaging with others. It's, it's, it's another way of promoting the dignity of the human person, right? Not just in terms of what you argue, but, but um, uh, promoting the dignity of the other with whom you're arguing and, and wanting to reach their person um, yeah. and, and advance their good. And it's it's easy to lose sight of that, yes. um, and and um, um, we've both engaged in a lot of a lot of philosophical reflection. There's a huge temptation to want to win the argument, um, and to do that at the expense of the person is is always a loss. So, thank you for your work. Um, it, it it's inspiring. It's a model for um, all of us. It's it's because of of uh, the way in which you have advanced so nobly the the culture of life and promoted the dignity of the human person um, as an alumnus of the University of Dallas that we're, we're just so blessed to have you as our commencement speaker and um, those of you who are listening to this Veritas dialogue you'll listen to it after the the event in which Dr. Meany uh, becomes a uh, an alumnus yet again of the University of Dallas through his honorary degree so thank you for for being here this uh, weekend of uh, commencement exercises, and thank you for this conversation. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's a real honor to be here. And that's going to do it for the 
Good news show today. Uh, thank you, Dr. Sanford. Good to hear from Dr. Meany there as well. And thanks also to Steve Huff with the Vocation Awareness Program as well. And just uh, don't forget, if you are uh, feeling that God may be uh, calling you towards a religious vocation or at least checking it out in discernment, then uh, do check out that Vocation Awareness Program at the University of Dallas. Uh, the weekend of June 10th through 12th. And don't forget, two weeks from tomorrow, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, is the start of the summer uh, share here on the Guadalupe Radio Network with a theme of Eucharistic Revival. And July 21st is our Summer Speaker Series event. Tickets will go on sale this Thursday. Uh, the 26th of May, and just go to summerspeakerseries.com if you want to be among the first to get your tickets to that event with uh, guest speaker Bishop Joseph Strickland. Uh, thanks, Cecil and Diane, and thank you for listening. God bless you. We'll see you next. Actually, we'll see you next week. It may be a pre-recorded show. It may not have a show at all. You just have to tune in and find out, but uh, definitely in two weeks we'll be back. Uh, thanks. God bless you. Thanks for joining us for the Good News Show here on KATH 910 AM on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Please join us next week at the same time for the next Good News Show. KATH.